You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. given up on God today? You feel like He doesn't love you? Do you feel like you've gone too far? I urge you, when you hear His voice, come back. Come back to Him. Come back mightily to Him. Run to His arms that are wide open, telling you to come unto me. My love is pure. My love is strong. Don't you understand that it was finished on the cross? It's done? Come back to me. He's crying out for you. Are you here today feeling like you've given up on God or that He has left you? As Pastor Dave shares in today's study, it's never too late to return to the Lord. No matter what you've said or done, the Father is waiting with open arms. He is calling out for you to return. So be part of the most incredible love story of all time. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 10 as he begins his message, Son of God. going to finish chapter 10 of the Gospel of John. So if you will turn into your Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 10, we're going to be looking specifically at verses 31 through 42. It has been an incredible ride through the Gospel of John, chapter 10. It's been a wonderful, wonderful thing that we've been able to look at, to glean from the entire Gospel. And it's only continuing on to get better. There's so many things that we still have yet to discover in this glorious gospel of John. So if you've made your way there, we're going to be looking at verses 31 through 42. So gospel of John chapter 10, verse 31. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, many good works I've shown you from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming me, because I said, I am the Son of God? If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Therefore, they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand. And he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first, and there he stayed. Then many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all the things that John spoke about this man were true, and many believed in him there. We've been studying the Gospel of John now for a while. And as we've studied, Jesus has made several I am statements that were recorded by John. But of all the I am statements that Jesus has made, there was one that was most controversial of all. 
There was one that was most responsible for his arrest. There was one that caused the Jewish leaders to be so angry, so upset that they would conspire to finally end his life. And that's the I am statement we read this morning. In today's verses, Jesus flat out states, I am the Son of God. It doesn't get much clearer than that. It doesn't get much plain, much more plain or plainer. There's an old proverb that says this, quote, if you truly want honesty, don't ask questions you don't really want the answers to. Probably have heard that once or twice. But this is the position that these religious leaders are in. This is where the religious leaders are, and this is where we are now in, in chapter 10 of John. These religious leaders have asked Jesus bluntly, tell us who you are. Stop messing around. Stop keeping us in doubt. Tell us who you are. And that's what they said we studied last week in 24. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, how long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. But they really didn't want an honest answer. They really didn't want the truth. They were far from it because they had already made up their mind. What they wanted to do was argue with him. What they wanted to do was trap him. They wanted to mix up his words. They wanted to get him to a point where he would admit something that they could say, yeah, we got you now. And that's what they tried to do. And that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to find fault with him so that they could kill him. Way back, end of chapter 5, we read that after he healed the man at the pool of Bethesda, they decided because it was done on the Sabbath, he had to go and they were going to kill him. And they were going to do everything in their power to get to this guy. Jesus answered their questions time and time again. And throughout the Gospels, you can read that these guys continually asked him about his identity, continually confronted him. Who are you? Why do you say you do this? Why do you do that? But the truth is, he gave them no reason to wonder. Jesus gave them no reason to wonder because he had been clear about his identity. When he fed the 5,000, what did he say? I am the bread of life. He said, I'm the light of the world, and then he goes and heals a blind man. He declares, I'm the door, and all those who were listening knew that he was saying that if you want to get into God's sheepfold, you got to come through the door, I'm the door. you got to come this way. He explained, I'm the good shepherd, and it was clearly a prophecy of the Messiah, because the Messiah was foretold to be the good shepherd. Everywhere that John recorded, many other statements where Jesus made it clear that he is the Son of God. Way back in chapter 3, Nicodemus, when he introduced him to Nicodemus, he called himself the Son of Man, God's one and only Son. And we have to understand something here. The title Son of Man, the way the Jews perceived it, it re referred to the Messiah. God's anointed one. And they knew that the Messiah, God's anointed one, would be his son. They understood that. It was in their scriptures. What did he say to the woman at the well? The Messiah, when he comes, I am he. He is the Messiah, the Christ. What, where's there's a difference? Well, Messiah is the Jewish word. Christ is the Greek word. Christos is the Greek word. The crowds that he preached to, when he said the bread of life sermon, he called himself the son of man. 
When he preached that he was the light of the world, he called himself the son of the man. The man who was born blind, he told himself the son of God. What more do they need? And in spite of all this, the Jewish leaders still ask the question, who are you? Tell us. They acted like he was trying to hide something. They acted like he was hiding this great truth somewhere in all these vague words and all these parables. Tell us who you are. He had told them. He had told them who he was, where he came from, who sent him, and where he was going. He had told them, but they refused to believe. They actually blamed him for their unbelief. Don't keep us in doubt any longer. He answered bluntly, I did tell you, but you don't believe. The works I do in my Father's name speak of me. In other words, Jesus was saying, you don't believe me even when you see the miracles. You don't even believe me. So what was their problem? Unbelief. That was the crux of the problem. Unbelief. These religious leaders refused to believe. They couldn't get past their prejudicial attitudes. They couldn't get past their religious traditions. And they could not get past their pride. They were bound up by these things, and they would not believe that Jesus was the Anointed One, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. They would not believe that. Jesus answers their question plainly, and then he pushes it even further when he says, I and the Father are one. What? I and the Father are one, clearly claiming his deity, clearly claiming that he was one with the Father. Not the same person, but one with, in essence, this is a stronger statement that he said that he came down from heaven. This is a stronger statement when he said that before Abraham was, I am. This is so much stronger than that. And for this statement, what did the Jews do? They picked up stones to stone him. Look at verse 31. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. This was the culminating statement. This was starting to push it over the edge. But something that started when he healed the man way back on the Sabbath on chapter 5. It never died out. It only intensified. It only got more and more raw in their skins. And until finally, they said, that's it. We're going to get rid of this guy. we got to get rid of this guy. When you think back on John's gospel, and what a glorious gospel it's been. These ten chapters have been incredible. And I feel like Jimmy and Gerani saying, you ain't seen nothing yet, folks. It's only going to get better and better and more and more incredible as we go through the gospel of John. But way back in chapter 4, Jesus was welcomed by the Samaritans. He was welcomed by them. Remember the woman? Come see this man. He told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Christ? And they all went out to them, and many believed him. When he spent time in Galilee, his home section, they really didn't come after him, although he didn't do any works because they kind of didn't believe, but they didn't come after him. But here he is now in Jerusalem, in the temple, in the center of Hebrew spirituality. He's right there in that central. And do they greet him with open arms? Do they greet him like one of their brothers? No. They pick up stones and want to hit him. They want to kill him because he said those words. Jesus had every reason to give up on these guys. Did you ever think of that? Jesus could have easily dissed that. Ah, you guys are through. I'm done. I'm done with you and walked away. He could have done that. They were obviously out to get them. They were basically sworn enemies. They deserved a scathing rebuke, and he did rebuke them. Read Matthew 23. He did rebuke them, but instead of rebuking them here, he offers them God's grace again. 
He once again offers them salvation. He once again offers them God's grace. They couldn't trap Jesus with their clever arguments. They couldn't explain away the miracles. They wanted to stone him and get rid of him. And Jesus says, no, I love you too much and offers them salvation again. I love this about Jesus. I love this about Jesus. Even when he's reviled, even when he's rejected, he throws out another chance. He throws out another time when you can accept him. He throws out another love chapter that give to you and show you what vast love he has. No, our Lord never gives up on us. Amen. He never gives up on us. Our sins may drive us further and further and further away from him. But even then, even then, in the midst of our sin, he still loves us and he yearns for us. He yearns for us to repent and come back to him. And I just got this incredible visual image of a father standing on a porch looking for a son, looking for the prodigal that straight away, yearning, hoping, praying that he'll return, praying with all his might that the son would come back. That's what we have in our father. He will never give up on us. And this father standing on that porch never gave up hope. Never gave up hope. And then when he saw his son coming, what did he do? Sit back in a chair and said, I told you so. No, he ran to the son. He ran to him, blistering fast. and grabbed him and hugged him and kissed him. Killed the fatted calf and they had a great big party. My son was lost, now he's found. That's what Christ wants us to do. He never gives up. He hasn't given up on you today. He still loves you and wants you to repent and ask him for forgiveness. Why? Because the Bible tells us the Lord is compassionate. He's gracious God. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love and faithfulness. That's our God. That's who we have. The Lord doesn't give up on us. But tragically, we give up on him. We give up on him. We often give up. Well, you know what? I've gone too far. I've wandered too far away. And he doesn't love me anymore. I can't go back because of what I've done. He doesn't care about me. He's upset with me. I don't get what I want, so I'm going to go outside and eat worms. You give up by assuming God will no longer love you and no longer accept you, and you give up. You're so deep in your sin, you said, I shouldn't, oh, well, I might as well just blow it all. And you go deeper still. Have you given up on God today? Do you feel like he doesn't love you? Do you feel like you've gone too far? I urge you, when you hear his voice, come back. Come back to him. Come back mightily to him. Run to his arms that are wide open, telling you to come unto me. My love is pure. My love is strong. Don't you understand that it was finished on the cross? It's done? Come back to me. He's crying out for you. The cross is the ultimate proof of God's love. There is no greater love than what happened on that cross. It's the greatest love story in all of history. No greater love. None. Don't depend on your own abilities. Don't depend on yourself. Open the door of your heart to Jesus Christ again and invite him to come back in, take control, and move on. Once you open your heart, you'll never be the same again. He'll not only forgive you, but he will help you take a grip, a hold of your sin. He will help you in what's going on today. 
He is an ever-present help in the time of trouble, in the time of danger. He's our high tower, which we can run into. He's our refuge. He's our strength. Look at all the things, all the adjectives that he is, that you have in Jesus Christ. And he constantly, constantly, constantly stands at the door of your heart and knocks. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice, opens the door, I will come in. Jesus is always knocking at the door of your life, always knocking at the door of your heart. Let him in today. Let him in today. Let him in right now. Let him in right now and have all of you. Give him all your heart because that's what he wants. Didn't he give all for you? So why wouldn't we give it all back? Why wouldn't we say, here, Lord, it's all yours. I don't want it. It's yours. I can't do it. Oh, how thankful. I'm thankful that Jesus never gave up on me. Oh, my. In the midst of my sin, when I was running from him, he offered me his love and his grace. In the midst of my sin. In the midst of these guys' sin of unbelief, Jesus was offering them love and grace and mercy. He knew what was going to happen. He knew they would win out eventually. He knew he would go to that cross. But he's still offering them. It was clear that these religious leaders just wanted to win the argument. But they knew they weren't going to win. All they could do was point to Jesus, his words or his, his works, how can we prove he's the Messiah? He's not showing us anything. Let's stone him to death. Yeah, let's get him. Jesus says, for which of my works do you want to stone me? Look at 32 and 33. Jesus answered them, many good works I've shown you from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered, saying to him, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy and because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus had already told them in chapter 5 that the works he did were done in coordination and at the direction of the Father. These were acts of obedience to the Father, and they were all blessings to men. Name a time in all of Jesus' life where he did a work that was not beneficial to man. You can't. Giving people sight, letting people hear, raising the dead. So on and so on. Everything Jesus did, he did as a blessing to man. Not one thing did he do to say, aha, I caught you. He never did that. He never did that. Yes, thank you, Lord, is right. So he said, okay, uh, let's see. Is it for the lame man at the pool of Bethesda? No, 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 wait a minute. Is it, is it for the blind man? Oh, wait a minute. Is it for, you know? No. No. They thought they had him. Listen to their answer. Not for a good work, but because you made yourself God. Why was this so important? Well, it's called blasphemy. It's called blasphemy. And in the Jewish law, when you spoke the words that Jesus spoke, when you made yourself equal with God, when you called yourself God, that was blasphemy because you were a man. The punishment for blasphemy? Death. Period. Interesting. Interesting, though, thought. Think of this. They said that you, being a man, make yourself God. <laughs> Jesus didn't have to make himself God. He was God. <laughs> he didn't have to make himself God. He was already God. There was no making about it. 
though they had that part wrong. He was already there. He was just showing these men who he really was, but they didn't want it. They didn't want the truth. If their hearts were truly open, they would have believed by now. They would have believed by now. Jesus refutes their accusation by using their scriptures. And I love this about Jesus. He does this a lot. Look at 34 through 36. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? Now think about this. Jesus is in the temple now. Remember, we read that back in previous verses. He's in the temple. And all these guys come up to him and they hemmed him in. Remember, they surrounded him and they're all standing there. And Jesus is saying these things. I and the Father of one. And he's sitting there watching them. And as they stand down there in the temple court, they all pick up stones. They're all standing around him like this. They got these great big stones in their hand. This was a very intimidating time for anyone else, but not for Jesus. Not for Jesus. It wasn't very intimidating for him. I mean, they were ready to throw stones at him, and he didn't care. He never backed down. He never attempted to run away. He didn't even flinch. He came right at them, and he came at them through the word and the power that lies within it. Remember that. Just like he did Satan when he was tempted in the wilderness. He came at Satan with the word of God. It is written. Oh, look at the first word. Look at the first words here. Is it not written? The same thing. Is it not written? He's saying, listen, guys, this is your law. This is your law. You have it. God gave it to you. Is it not written in your law that it says this? He comes right at him. Now, the picture here is Psalm 82. And it's Psalm 82, verse 6. And that says, in Psalm 82, verse 6, it says this, I said, you are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. So, what's he saying here? Well, according to the text in which it's written, remember, context, 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 it was where God has assembled judges on earth. And he wants to warn them that one day they too will be judged. And the Hebrew word used here for God or gods or judges is Elohim. Elohim. You can look at Exodus 21.6 and Exodus 22 verses 8 and 9. Interesting. You've probably heard of the word Elohim before. It's the fourth word of the Bible. It's the fourth word of the Bible, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. Elohim. Elohim. It's a plural word used in a singular form. Already talking about the Trinity in the fourth word of the Bible. Already talking about the Trinity in the fourth word of the Bible. In the beginning, Elohim. And the Jewish rulers didn't... It didn't go by them. They knew what was going on. They knew that Jesus was speaking truth. If God called human judges gods, then why should these religious men stone Jesus? Because he said the same title for himself. And then I call it the kicker. It's almost as if Jesus had this in the back of his pocket. He was waiting, you know? He was waiting for this one. You are sure.
The Gospel of John was written from a perspective that provides an eyewitness account of what happened during the life of Jesus here on earth. Different than the other three Gospels, John's book describes Jesus in ways that confirm him as the Son of God. There are things done and said that can only point to Jesus being far more powerful than what a human could do. In the Old Testament, God referred to himself as, I am. In this book, John recounts how Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the resurrection and the life. These were bold statements, but Jesus proved throughout his ministry that they were indeed true. He lived a life that compelled people to follow at that time, to seek him out, and to commit their lives. And we can also follow him today. If you missed any part of today's teaching, or you'd like to listen to additional messages from Pastor Dave, visit assurehoperadio.com. Perhaps you were listening, you realized that you have some questions about faith, and maybe even about salvation. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. You can also click on the Jesus tab at assurehoperadio.com. This will provide you with a succinct picture of who Jesus is and how he can change your life. Thank you again for taking the time to learn about God's word today. We hope you'll join us again next time on Assure Hope.